Welcome once again to the Live Love Local podcast with me, your host, Darren Langill. Today's guest is another local Calgary entrepreneur. I've been very lucky to get to know over the years that I know you'll find a ton of value from. Uh, we've joked, him and I, today's guest would love to come on anonymously. Um, I probably should have let you do it, but I just wouldn't let it happen because we're a local show and we want to spotlight some folks. Uh, today's guest, you probably won't know, recognize his name, is uh, Christopher Brown. Chris is a multiple business owner, a venture capitalist, kind of a global market enthusiast. He's a car lover, a father of two new twin boys, husband of a really successful lady, and one of the smartest people that I've really ever gotten to know. The street smarts on this man are incredible. Uh, Chris, like a lot of Calgary business people, comes from the world of engineering, as I do too. He, he grew up in back in New Brunswick where he completed his Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and then made his way out west to conquer the West. Uh, he started his career at Fleur, then moved into trading to the trading floor down at Transalta. Then he launched his own power trading startup from his basement in $50,000, I think in a partnership uh, about six-ish years ago, but he can maybe bring some extra light on that. Um, profiting literally from week one, which is not what most businesses end up going through. Uh, he never turned back and has now expanded it into various other ventures, which I'm sure we'll dig into today. Uh, I could go on. I'd love to go on because I love sharing his story. But Chris, um, you're too humble. You'll probably say, Darren, shut up. Uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, thank you very much, Darren. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. Did did I get anything wrong there? Did I did I misstep? Uh, well, you, like you said, six years. It was actually well, it'd have been oh my goodness, almost eight years now. Eight years ago. Wow, time flies. Sure you does. Know. Yeah, absolutely. How, I mean, first of all, I mean, this is how are you doing? How here we are going into the second year. <laughs> A lot of people are now posting on their social medias that they're having their second COVID birthdays. Right. And they're putting yeah. off their weddings for the second year in a row. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, how are you doing um, as a person, as a businessman and now uh, a father? Yeah. So the, the father part, that would definitely be the best part of this pandemic for me is that I got to spend a, a ton of time at home uh, with the kids. Um, so that has been a wonderful experience, very tiring experience uh, with twins, but a wonderful experience. Um, the bad, of course, I mean, you miss your friends and family, right? So we're doing this over Zoom. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings and it's unfortunate because you really do just wanna see people face to face. And uh, if anyone's learned anything during this pandemic is that social interaction is extremely important. And um, I miss that. And uh, Simone and I talk about it a lot that we just miss our friends and just having them over and, you know, having dinner and, um, yeah, that's something that's, that's really tough during the pandemic. I'm sure with, I mean, having your two kids, um, tell me what's that kind of within this health pandemic that's going on and having to, you know, of course, birth the children, graze them and you're back and forth between, I mean, a lot of the, the, the providers, how has that changed from what you're hearing about what it's had to been like to grow and bring these kids up under this situation? Anything that you've heard that is way different well our our kids were born in uh pre uh, premature right so we had to go to NICU and uh, now with rules I mean 
we couldn't even allow it to have our grandparents in there to come see the kids for the first time, which was really unfortunate because my dad was out here visiting and he had to go back to New Brunswick. So we couldn't even visit the kids and even meet them. Um, and we asked and we begged, but rules are rules. Um, and um, it was, it was, and then it got even more strict after we brought the kids out of NICU. We heard that only one parent could go in at a time. And that would be, <laughs> that'd, be that'd be really tough as a new parent, not being able to see your kids, that, that would be extremely challenging. So I, I'm actually thankful that I got to be in there with my wife um, to see these newborn kids. And um, yeah, it's, it's COVID's changed a lot of that stuff. And even when we have an appointments now, um, there's restrictions. Um, sometimes it's only one parent can go in, uh, sometimes both. Um, usually they allow both for us because we have twins. So one kid per parent. Um, but yeah, a lot has changed and, uh, I'll be happy when it's all over. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even going through what you did, which is having the, the children early adds another complication, mm. which nobody wants extra complications during this period. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> hey, I'd like to dig into that initial jump into entrepreneurship with you. So you like me have an engineering background as a lot of us in Calgary do. And then you make me that first jump between electrical engineer to trader floor. Can you explain that to me? Because I mean, I mean, maybe that's a natural progression within the electrical engineering space, but I'd love to understand that. And a lot of people don't really understand the world of electrical trading and power trading. Yeah. So um, back in 2003, <laughs> when I was doing uh, my third year of electrical engineering, and it was during winter exams, actually, um, a friend of mine gave me an iPod and it was actually an iPod mini at the time. And I was like, wow, this is such a cool device. And there's a reason why I'm telling you this story. And I was like, wow, this company, Apple, like they're doing really well. Like I can really see them doing extremely well. So then I started considering buying the stock and I, I convinced my parents that this was a great idea. And I put some money in myself and I remember buying Apple stock at $64. Um, and that was before all the splits. I mean, that would be, uh, I looked back, it was actually 50 cents and Apple today is trading $122. So at the time it would have been 50 cents based on all the splits, stock splits that they've had. And I was absolutely addicted after buying the stock. And so I, I knew that I wanted to finish engineering because I was on already in my third year. And I thought, you know what, just finish the degree um, pursue the CFA program because that I found that to be the easiest route to go from engineering to finance. And, um, I did my, uh, I went out to Calgary after I graduated and I studied my friggin' butt off, man, <laughs> to, to switch from engineering into finance. I remember being at Fleur and, uh, working, you know, your eight hours a day. And then I had uh three months to study for the cfa program and they recommend a year so i i worked my butt off on the weekends and everything i finally passed the exam um that i think it was june i got the results a month or so later and i was ecstatic i was like finally i can switch from engineering which i do enjoy but i really love trading and i love markets and i i knew that from that first stock purchase that I made with Apple. Um, I absolutely loved it. So I, uh, I had a mutual friend, um, that met 
that knew the head trader at Transalta. And um, his name is Sean Connell, <laughs> a great guy. Uh, and we met uh, for drinks once and he was asking me about, you know, what I like to do. And I said, I would love to be a trader. Like, this is what I would love to do. I just, I have a passion for markets. I just want to be involved. And so he took me on the trade floor uh, that night just to, just to look at it. And I, I was like shaking with excitement. I was so excited to be there. I was like, this is what I need to be a part of. Like, I have to be here. And uh, so I, he, gave me, uh, he gave me an interview. It wasn't as a trader. It was as uh, what's called a power scheduler. And um, yeah, I, I got the job <laughs> and uh, I worked myself up into being a trader. Absolutely loved it. Um, the people I worked with were fantastic, and uh, Transalta was a fan was a great place to learn about the power markets. So it was a fantastic education for me. And uh, I remember in uh, 2013, early 2013, when the traders came back from a conference, uh, he, he talked about um, that he, he met these guys, these two guys that were working in their basement trading and i'm like how is that even possible because you you envision uh you need to be a part of this huge corporation that has billions of dollars and you you know you have the staff you know, analysts and back office and front office like you just envision you need all of these things to make this work and you just couldn't i couldn't believe that so i started digging into um how is this even possible and um I mean, I went, I went and looked for investors first because I assumed that I needed a lot of money. And I remember calling um, one of the markets, uh, it's called PJM, uh, which is one of the largest electricity market in North America. And uh, I was talking to the guy and I was like, so we're trading this product and uh, how much, like, what is it gonna cost for us to, to participate? Because I, I think you need like a million dollars or something. And he said, no, you need $50,000. I'm like, Fifty thousand dollars. That like that's it. Like that blew my mind. I just couldn't believe that. I was like fifty thousand dollars. I was like, do you mean like to trade a small amount of volume? Because you're always considering volume, right? Because if you can only trade one share of a stock per se, I mean that's not going to have an impact. But if you could trade a thousand shares, I mean that's that's a much larger impact, right? He said, no, it's fifty thousand dollars unlimited. I'm like. There's something wrong with this. So I come to find out that there was this window of opportunity between uh, when I found out in April till October 1st, you needed a million dollars now. They were changing the rules. So there's this <laughs> window of opportunity that I was like, I remember talking to my, who's now my business partner, he sat beside me, his name's Brian. I said, Brian, we have to do this. <laughs> This is our window of opportunity. We we can go. We're really good at this product. We can make a lot of money and we just have to go for it. And thankfully, I convinced them to do that. And uh, because I couldn't afford the financial risk at the time, I mean, $50,000 US is $50,000 US. And when you don't have it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little tough. So we both went 50-50. And uh, I remember starting in my basement it was so exciting like my basement was uh bare bones i mean the, the there wasn't even drywall on the walls i mean this is an unfurnished basement we had these desks made of plastic we had these laptops i uh and we used um we had our tools ready and uh we went for it and i remember the first day of trading 
Um, I get so excited about this because it's such a fun story to talk about. I remember because you get to relive it, right? By talking about it. I remember it was May 13th, our first day of trading and we made $200 and I was like, oh, I don't know. This is not really working that well. <laughs> actually pretty nervous i was like we need to make a million dollars by october 1st this is not good uh so if, yeah so then the second day i think we made twenty thousand, and then we so made did you so when you got into this window of opportunity it wasn't only that your grandfathered in fifty thousand was what you could know you needed to get to the million by that that date so you had this exactly. runway a short runway to go so, okay, so that's a little different. When you first said it, I thought it was, okay, maybe I'm getting in, I'm grandfathered, no. and then everybody knew beyond that. Is, uh, so so no. for those listening, I mean, the power trading world, I've, I've been brought into it from you, just from our, our experience together. Um, most people, when you think of the markets, we think of the stock market, the, the right. NASDAQ, all those. And when we talk of the power mm -hmm. trading market, can you give, I know this is tough, but can you give a, a short summary of like what the hell that is. So yeah, it's a very unique market. Um, basically what you're, what we do is we bet on traffic jams on highways and more specifically, we, we um, predict transmission congestion. So which would be traffic jams for electrons going from A to B. And there is a financial derivative uh, product around that that allows us to trade and predict that. So like, say if your example, you were a highway traffic controller for Deerfoot and you predict that between four and 6 p.m. every day that there would be a traffic jam, right? Or there's an accident, it's a winter day and there's gonna be an accident and there's gonna be a huge traffic jam. And you, you can bet on that, how many, you know, how severe of a traffic jam there would be or would not be. And so that was the original product that we traded um, when it came to power was predicting these uh, traffic jams for electrons. Um, it's a very unique, there's no shares or anything like that. And the reason, so that you this, have a, the, reason the grid exists at all. So of course, everybody like Transalto, they're creating power, they're sending power down the grid, powering our mm -hmm. homes, everything that we do. And then there's a mechanism there for which traders are, 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 are creating markets. I mean, can you explain that to people? Because it's like, yeah, I get power, I flick on my switch, here we are. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes into play, which is what these trading companies and energy companies have to, to work on to facilitate where the power goes at what time. Is that right? Efficiently? Well, well physics rule the world. So you, you can't, um, you can't say this electron will go to this house. Do you know what I mean? So physics yeah. rule that world. Uh, so it's be, it's a push-pull mechanism based on uh, demand and supply in the transmission lines. Um, so all these uh, market participants, whether you're um, a generator or a trader like myself or a transmission owner, you're all participating in this one market, and you're putting in um, uh, you know how much megawatts you can dispatch and different prices for that. Um, you also uh, you also schedule in your outages for transmission lines and power plants, and it's it's very very complex. But the the two or three things that really matter in the power markets are how much generation there is, what's the demand, load is king, as we say, and um, what are the price of the components going into that um, the pricing of power. So natural gas price. Um, coal price, et cetera. So right. 
so the weather is uh, has a significant impact on the power market as well as outages and stuff like that. Gotcha. So, so, so oh, go ahead. Yeah. So our goal as traders is we try to make it as efficient as as possible. So right now there is what is called a day ahead market, and that is what uh, the the system operator the market itself believes the price should be for the next day. So they try to predict that price. What us as traders do is we try to find that divergence from real time versus what the actual day head is. And we're trying to make the market more efficient and therefore cheaper. That makes sense. Yeah. See for the consumer thinking, okay, why do these guys exist? Are they just making right. money? just that's this they've created this like yeah. middle layer to just make people wealthy no it's no. there's a reason you guys exist and that's to drive efficiency within the market that means exactly right. that's good for the earth that's good for everything right um yeah and of course there's a mechanism for people to earn so i mean that's great thank you for that makes a ton of sense to me um yeah. so you so generally from what you're understanding <laughs> you jump into a market that is typically played by the big boys and girls out there. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, most yeah, of I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, we were two guys in a basement and you're competing against uh, billion dollar companies like Transalta and these other, <laughs> these other folks. So yeah, it's a, it is a competition, but I mean, it's actually pretty crazy because we were trading larger size in terms of volume than Transalta, who's a multi-billion dollar company at the time like a, in a pretty significant way. And we're two guys in an unfurnished basement. So yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I really like that part of it. Um, I like the competition and uh, we happen to be extremely good at it. Yeah, very neat. So yeah, I mean, there's, and again, for those listening, there's different power markets across the US. Uh, I mean, they all have borders per se and different slight rules. And again, mm -hmm. you, you need a, a different set of capital and, and to be able to get into each one of these. And so not everybody plays in all and you can expand mm -hmm. and change. And I think you've given me that terminology before where it's like being at the casino and there's yep. different games within the casino and not everybody's mm -hmm. great at blackjack, but those that do play it well and they play it often. Um, and that's similar to, to your situation. That's the power trading world. We, have, we both have mutual friends that do this and, you're in same markets, but do different things. Fair enough. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, I'm really good at blackjack, and they might be good at uh, slots or poker, for example. Cool. So um, I love it. The basement story, and I know. I mean, you. I mean, one of your stories is well, we upgraded from another from our basement to another one that I that I, <laughs> no, I think it was in Lake Bonavista, and, yeah, uh, and yeah. you guys were just another group of guys, a few more of you. Um, with maybe nicer monitors and bigger desks, uh, but it was still in a basement and you were still competing against some of the largest companies in the world. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and I still love it today. It's great. So then you got into some other sectors though. I know you're very entrepreneurial. You're, you're always thinking ahead to, to almost like, this is maybe a, a good part to go is, I mean, you find things just because it's almost like you're seeking problems. And when a problem hits, your brain triggers something differently. And I'd love to kind of just deep dive into that a little bit about like, where did that come from? You, you've come into an issue and for some reason, Chris Brown goes down a path of, I think I can solve this or I can make this better. 
I mean, where did that entrepreneurial side come from? The entrepreneurial side, I think it starts when you're a kid, to be honest. I mean, uh, I remember when uh, I, <laughs> I was, uh, I think I was, I must have been five or six years old. And um, I, uh, I found out that you could redeem bottles for five cents and 10 cents. And I, I just couldn't believe that that was possible. <laughs> like you could get money for redeeming bottles. So I remember going to neighbors and asking them for bottles to redeem. And I ended up accumulating this huge pile of change. Um, a funny story over that is that I actually made a really bad trade. My brother had Canadian tire money. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. It's colorful and it's really neat. And I said, how would I trade you for this, which was real money? versus in, and to get the Canadian tire money. So that was probably the worst trade I ever met, uh, made uh, in my life. But um, I, think, I think I've always been entrepreneurial. I mean, even in university, I remember making a, um, uh, I remember developing uh, with a CS friend of mine, uh, a book sale site. So for used books, they could, people could go and post their books for sale online instead of you know how you used to have all these bristle boards with this book for sale and take this phone number and call them. I thought that was incredibly inefficient. So I, I made this um, online book sale that people could post their books and buy books and stuff like that. And it worked out and it was completely free. Um, and it was just a fun project for me. Uh, so I, I always got involved in that just because I found a huge inefficiency in a problem that I thought could be solved. Um, when I, you know, starting this business, the same thing, found a problem, wanted to solve it. Um, the medical staffing company that I have with my brother um was a huge problem with inefficiencies and uh, he told me about his experience as a travel nurse i thought we could do a much better job and a much more efficient job i think we do the job of probably 10 people and where there's just two of us and that's because we leverage technology to our benefit um and then now i'm working on another project that has to do with the seafood industry and it addresses another inefficiency issue with buying and selling the wholesale market so I think I just, I'm always looking, you're right. I'm always looking for a problem to see if I can solve it. And the, and it stems from frustration. It's like when someone tells me a story that they're frustrated about something, I'm like, well, how can we leverage technology to improve that experience? How can we move the friction from that experience? And so I, I always jokingly told you, I said, if you're picking up the phone to do something, and calling somebody, that's inefficient. Why, why can you just have an app or something that you could schedule your golf course on, online via your phone versus calling them, listening to when the times are available? It's like, you know what I mean? Like there are many different ways to create efficiency. And um, So how, how yeah, have you gone though from, sure, like a travel nursing industry from a TransAlta floor trader, ex-electrical engineer thinking, yeah, that's an industry for me, right? I mean, there's no connection there, but yet somehow you have the idea, which a lot of us and the people listening do. We have these great ideas, mm -hmm. but the ability to execute seems like endless and freak. It, you freak out because you're like, I don't know how to build an app or I don't know how to build a used book sale website, right? Because I'm a ex. Like, how do you get over that? Because that will stop almost everybody from executing. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of ideas, I mean, ideas are wonderful, but they're completely worthless if they're not executed on. Everyone has an idea. 
but they're so either they're fearful of failure or they're fearful of, I don't know how to go down this road. The reality is there's a lot of information online. And if you don't know someone, find someone who does. <laughs> like I am not the best programmer in the world, but I know people that I can call or I have friends of friends that you can uh, ask and find someone who does and ask them the questions. Like, is this even possible? Okay, if it's possible, what should I be looking at? Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's basically it is I, I just look at, you know, whether it's the power market or the medical staffing market or the seafood industry, I look at them all the same way. They're all inefficient markets and there's nothing really fundamentally different. Like the title and I mean, with power market, it's financial derivatives with the medical staffing. I mean, it, it deals with people, but you're all you're doing is filling a supply um, with, I mean, you are, you're the supply and you're filling the demand. The power, uh, the seafood industry right now that I'm looking at, we're doing the same thing again. We're, we're removing a lot of friction costs from buying and selling. So th there's nothing really fundamentally different between them at all. They just happen to be different markets. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's a, that's the quote unquote tip, like the, the curiosity of a, a rock star and entrepreneur. And like you said, to take action and execute. Now, I wanted to ask you specifically back to the trading world. And I mean, you fell in love with the markets back in 2003 with Apple. You're, you're not, I mean, you, so you have your CFA designation, but you're not an active like stockbroker trader guy that can manage money on behalf of folks, but you do this a ton right? This is a big for yourself and for your own investments. So you've fallen in love and you've learned a lot uh, about that as if you were a broker trader type. Um, I mean, what are you seeing out there with the market? Like for, I mean, a lot of us over COVID, you end up getting stuck behind your computer. A lot of people got into the day trading world just, uh, you know, probably shouldn't have an R and are trying. What are you seeing from a macro or any other trends about what is truly the health of the market out there? Is there concerns that you see? And I'd love to get your thoughts because for the average Joe, like me, I'm a real estate guy. I know very little and every time I think I do, I'm wrong, so. Yeah, so, well, uh, this is this pandemic has been pretty crazy and what the governments are doing is extremely aggressive historically. Um, so right now you have the Bank of Canada printing money excuse me, um, right up uh, with quantitative easing. They're buying around, what, $4 billion in bonds per week. Um, they're pegging interest rates to the floor to stimulate economic activity. So when you have um, in, uh, aggressive money printing uh, along with uh, pegging interest rates low, it's very difficult not to be bullish asset prices because that is the perfect recipe. You're creating inflation and making it cheap to buy the asset. So you're you're basically it's it's incredibly difficult to to not be bullish uh, asset prices. And like I told you this summer, I bought a place in Vancouver for that reason, is because it was the perfect storm. I mean, everyone was worried about the pandemic and everything else, but I was like, this is the perfect storm for asset prices, so I'm buying it. And uh, even if you look at um, with, with the uh, the stock market in general, I mean, the S&P 500, which for those that don't know, is the 500 largest companies in the United States. I mean, in 2020, it was up 18%. And that is through like a devastating time. And why is that? Well, 
the governments printed money and printed stimulus and lowered interest rates, which is super bullish equity. So it's very bearish for bond markets, but super bullish equity. And what is the downside of all this is that I think governments can get out of control with printing money, trying to inflate the debt away. And we could become at a situation where we devalue the currency too much and we could end up creating a whole other world of problems. So I, I think that we need to keep our government accountable and not print so much money and um, take the foot off the gas a little bit because uh, we could create a whole different slew of problems this, for ourselves. Is this something that you think we would feel, I mean, it's as fast as that 20% rise happened from state of emergency in March to whole pandemic, uh, like pause to this ramp up that happened where everything was recovered and then beyond as fast as that feels like it's gone up because of all of this i mean is there is there talk is there conversation that there's an adjustment that could happen just as quickly or is that more of a longer term thing do you think well governments have been pretty vocal that they are will are willing to print an infinite amount of money to solve the problem so if, if, if anyone is thinking, oh, or there's a huge crash coming, well, if we've learned anything during the pandemic, governments are going to step in and stimulate and stimulate and stimulate and stimulate until they solve the problem. And it's just incredibly bullish for equities and asset prices. I mean, it's the right. perfect storm, like I said. So I, I wouldn't think, oh, we're going to have you know a 30% crash in the market. It is possible. I'm not saying that it's not possible. But... But I, based on what the governments are saying that, hey, don't worry, we're going to stimulate the economy, we're going to get out of this. So they're gonna keep now yeah, they're keep padding it, they're, they're, they're creating a softer landing. Um, exactly. And they're gonna, they're gonna keep going. Interesting. So what are you seeing? I mean, with the whole jump into day trading, I'm going to take advantage of this, <laughs> you're different right? You're, you're a long-term thinker. You're an investor that has this longer term. What are some of the things that from your understanding, people are doing right, people are doing wrong and anything you could shed a light on from that side? Well, just really quickly, I think day trading is a bad idea for 99% of people. And the reason being is that um, trading is extremely emotional. And when you're in a bull market, I mean, everyone, everyday trader out there thinks they're invisible, invincible, sorry, and everything they touch turns to gold and they're amazing. And why haven't they done this before? And, um, <laughs> but when things are bad, uh, go check on those day traders and see how they're doing yeah. because they're getting absolutely creamed. And because, and the reason being is because investing is incredibly emotional. So they will usually get out at the bottom of the market and uh or chop themselves up in the market and uh that's when i'm buying i i like it and it sounds horrible but i like it when the street or my neighbor or the media is saying the sky is falling that's my buying window it's, and, and warren buffett said it best uh be fearful when everyone is greedy and greedy when everyone is fearful so when everyone is saying the, this is the best thing ever you should be cautious but when everyone's saying the sky is falling and the world is ending and this time is different, you should be buying. And uh, so a lot of day traders and amateurs, uh, they, they don't know how to control their emotions. And I'll, I'll reveal a secret right now. Uh, investing doesn't take brains. It takes temperament. 
And that's basically the ability to detach your emotions from what is going on in the world and staying objective and staying with your long-term view. I mean, you, you need to think about what do things look like 10 to 20 years from now? Not about what happens next week, next month, and next year, because no one can predict that. <clears throat> like, let's take Amazon, for example. Back in March, the entire market was getting creamed because everyone was full of fear of what COVID could happen. <clears throat> and I was buying Amazon hand over fist because I kept thinking, well, okay, this is going on right now, but in 10 years time, I think Amazon is gonna be a juggernaut. Like it's just getting bigger and more dominant. So I'm buying it and I don't care if it keeps going down. I don't care what happens next year, but I know we're going to survive the pandemic. And I know in 10 years time, this company is gonna be massive. And that's all I needed. I didn't need any <laughs> big analysis. I didn't need anything. I just, you just, some things you just know right? You just have that intuition saying there's too much fear in the market. People are over overdoing this. Um, my long-term view I'm executing on and um, How yeah, do you and get it works. people to, I mean, everybody, and I would think most of the average investors, it's that quick return, right? It's that instant gratification, yeah. no different than that social media like we all have. And even whether we're business or personalities or everything in between. How do you stay so tempered, right, in that long term? And, and how, how can we coach more folks? Because I'm in that same breath. I'm in real estate. We are long term. But even personally, I found it's hard to stay that long course, right? Because you, you, wanna, you feel like that fear of missing out on that potential run up, right? <laughs> that, is, that, that is the hardest thing. I think uh, the best traders in the world have that ability to detach their emotions and have what I call an iron stomach. So they're willing to get in when everyone's getting out. And uh, that's, a, that's a gift, that's a trained gift. And I think the best way for people to do it is they need to understand, they need to look at history. Like I would challenge any day trader and say if they've been doing this for 10 years, mark your performance against the S&P 500 and see how well you're doing. And I bet 99% have done horribly. And the reason being is because it is incredibly difficult to beat the market index. And I remember even Warren Buffett, he made a million dollar bet against a hedge fund manager. I think it was back in 2008. And he said, I will buy the S&P 500 and you can choose whatever funds you want. And whoever wins donates a million dollars to charity. You know what the result was after 10 years? Warren Buffett's return was 85% and the hedge fund was 22 that is so everyone is benchmarked against the market index that is the michael jordan of of funds basically it's just buying the market you're essentially buying a cross section of the united states and if you look at the last 120 years of the united states the s p 500 has returned a 10.2 percent annual return and people were like oh it's only 10 percent but if you're compounding that, that is a significant return. And I'll, I'll just give you an example. <clears throat> Did you ever play? I mean, we had this game in high school where we would say, uh, the teacher would ask us, would you take a million dollars today? Or would you take a penny that doubles every day for the 30 days? And you think, like humans think linearly, we don't think exponentially. 
So we're like, oh, a penny doubles every day for 30 days. That can't be any more than $10,000. Well, the answer is 10.7 million, right? From a penny. And that is the power of compounding. And so when people come to me and ask me, you know, what should I invest in? What should I be doing? I basically have, I mean, this is an investment advice. I'm not an investment advisor. I have to say this for legal reasons. But if I could tell my younger self or my kids, I would tell them this. You want to take 80% of your money and put it in what I call the snowball. And that, and I'll explain what that is. And then if you want to be a fancy day trader, you can, you can put that 20% into your lottery tickets. So that's the things you choose, like Apple, Bitcoin, Tesla, whatever you want to do. Then that's fine. Go for it. But that 80%, put it in the market index because it is extremely unlikely you will beat that over a 10-year period because almost no one does. I mean, the professionals of the professionals cannot do it. It is the Michael Jordan. So why do you think you're going to be Michael Jordan at basketball? You're not. So buy the Michael Jordan, it's practically free to buy it from a management fee perspective and just sit on your hands and let the 80% roll. And then when you realize uh, your 20% is not performing as well as your 80%, hopefully you you start accumulating more of that 20% with the 80%. And right. the snowball, like I said, was buying the S&P 500. The reason why I call it snowball is because uh, it's like if you're on a mountain rolling it down a hill, it starts off really small and just gets bigger as it accumulates more snow around it, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the the taller the mountain you're on, that means you have more time for it to accumulate. So time is incredibly important when it comes to compounding. And I recommend all the younger people out there start investing now because it makes a significant difference on your life. And and I mean I'm just rambling now, but when you when you have a, this is a passion project for me for sure but when you have uh say you have a wealth manager or a mutual fund you're saying oh it's only one percent fee i mean how bad can that be right so let, i'll give you some numbers for a one percent fee over a 30-year period say you have a hundred thousand dollars invested and you're uh you invest in the s p 500 say you make a 7.2 percent return um, you'll have $800,000 after 30 years. So you start with 100 after 30 years, which is you know two doublings, you'll have 800,000. A 1% fee on that will be 575,000. So you lost around what, like 30% of your money because of a 1% fee? So, so to put that in perspective, I mean, uh, you can buy the S&P 500 ETF at a 0.07% management fee, which is almost insignificant. But a 1% fee is huge when over a long period of time uh, that accumulates. And so I highly recommend not to do that. <laughs> I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an entrepreneur's story there too. Yeah. Selling the 1% for you on any back end, if you're running any kind of consulting for anybody or your, you know, whether it's <laughs> stocks or anything and, and, and you can sell the 1% compound that over time and you'll be rich. Right. I mean, hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and the ironic part is you're buying, you're paying for underperformance. None of these mutual fund guys will beat the index. So you're, you're, you're basically saying, you know, uh, uh, some basketball player that's trying to compete by Michael Jordan and you're paying him to do worse than him. 
Right. Right. So, so why do it? <laughs> Just buy the Michael Jordan. It's so easy. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, back into the power world, I mean, the green energy, solar energy, all this stuff. And you and I have talked about this from business ideas and stuff. And I know with being in the power grid, it's so different across the country about kind of the price of power in different areas. It, the, the, when you get into this world, because of course, Alberta's doing its transition area from oil and gas, and we're trying to diversify the whole world of solar. We get a ton of sun here, right? We get a ton yeah. of sun in, in, in Calgary specifically, but Alberta. I mean, what, from your standpoint, understanding the cost, the delivery of electrical energy here in Alberta, is that whole idea of solar panels, like, does it make sense financially here in our markets? Um, is that something that this, us as Albertans should consider more? Because I know the prices have come down, but you and I had talks a few years ago about this, but I haven't brought I haven't brought it up for a while. So Jamin Homes, they're doing this on all of their properties and there's talk about it, but there's always this, hey man, does this make any sense at all from a dollars and cents and savings or is it just good for the earth? Right. I haven't done the math on it lately, but it will make economic sense. That's for sure. And if you look at um, it's inevitable. And the reason being is two things. The the price of solar is dropping exponentially. So if you look at it from uh, when the first solar module came out in the 1970s, we have reduced the cost of creating that same module um, per megawatt 99.7% uh, since wow. 1970. And over the next 10 years, it's projected to drop another 70%. So at some point it is going to be so economic, it's gonna be such a no brainer that people are gonna be putting solar on their existing homes and new builders, it's a value add to their consumers to put solar on their rooftops. So this, yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be the norm. And uh, I mean, when you combine that with the EV adoption, and then battery storage getting cheaper and cheaper. It's uh, it's going to be an absolute game changer for the energy space. And uh, in my opinion, going to have a big hurting on oil and gas in the future. I mean, so many people think of the rise of EV and they think of Tesla. Mm -hmm. They think of their, the, 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 I mean, the, the current kind of price to earnings ratio and it's really high and there's a lot of like kind of like buffer built in and hype because he's such a good hype man but what's the reality behind a company like tesla that most people are missing about the upside future upside of that whole industry can you comment to that well the the thing with tesla is that they're pushing every car manufacturer to join them like if you look at uh Ford right now, they invested $29 billion in their EV uh, research R&D. GM spending $27 billion. And uh, GM said that they would have 30 EV choices by 2025, and they will only sell EVs by 2035. So if Tesla has done anything really well, it's to push the industry that way. And the reason being is because EVs are <laughs> substantially more economical to run. They're incredibly more efficient. Like I remember, um, before I bought it, I mean, I own a Tesla. Uh, before I, uh, I had my Tesla, my SUV, I mean, it would cost me, I calculated like 16 cents per kilometer to operate. My my Tesla cost me around one and a half cents. So, and there's no maintenance. There's no oil and gas. I mean, there's 18 moving parts versus 2000 moving parts. So, I mean, these batteries last, I think now a million miles, which is 1.6 million kilometers on one battery. 
that's, I mean, I mean, economically, it just makes sense. And they're getting cheaper. I think by 2025, they said that, uh, you know, a Honda Civic internal combustion will be the same price as a Honda EV. Why would you ever buy the internal combustion engine, right? Because you have more power, less maintenance, uh, the cost per mile is substantially lower. So EVs are coming and they're coming in a big, big way. And as for Tesla, um, if they do what they say they're going to do with uh, full self-driving, I mean, that's an entirely other ball game as well. And if they do accomplish that with the full self-driving, I think that's the big part of Tesla's future. Um, the car ownership will go down because it's 10 times cheaper to run a unmanned EV that drop, picks you up and drops you off. So car ownership will go right to the floor. Hmm. Which again, results in better, better uh, impact on the planet and everything that is. Exactly. Yeah. You're just going to have like my kids when they're 16, do I really think they're going to be driving? No, I think they're going to have basically a, a card, like an Uber card that I give them a hundred dollars a month and they can be picked up and dropped off wherever they want to go at any time. And I don't have to drive them and it's safer than a human driving them. Right. And that's the future. I don't think, I, I don't think they'll even own cars personally. Yeah. It's hard to wrap your head around. Cause I mean, you and I are of the generation that we kind of, we came out of school, like our elementary and into our universities as much of the mobile and internet stuff started to really bounce and then now social and digital. So we've seen a lot of those changes and then there's the fathoming what this next 15, 20 years could look like because of the current advance, advancement trend is, is hard to wrap your head around. But I think the group below us, 10 years and 10 years, it's they don't, they're not as limited in their thought process right they those young bucks that are coming to the table almost are limitless in their beliefs because they've seen so much uh, and i think that's going to only accelerate the changes that come to all of our industries right mm -hmm. yeah i agree 100 i think well, um oh, sorry go ahead no you go ahead sorry Oh, I was just saying um, the world that my kids are going to be see are going to see in the next 20 years is going to be a heck of a lot different than the change we saw in the last 20. I think it, um, technology is accelerating and um, the next 20 years is going to be pretty dramatic. I mean, if you think, um, I mean, uh, 2007, the iPhone came out, right? That was, that was 14 years ago, right? And that, look at the impact that has had. I mean, what does 20 years from now look like? I mean, is it going to be like AR, VR, everything? Like, are we going to go on vacation with our kids uh, via a VR headset and we actually believe we're there? Like, is it going to be so realistic? I don't know. It's going to be really wild to see. But some of the things that they're working on right now, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and um, it's going to advance very quickly. What do you think as, a, as an entrepreneur right now, those that are like having these ideas, and knowing the, the pace of change, sometimes you can almost think, wow, I don't even know if I could be a part of that because it's gotta be the big money, the big software, the big tech that's pulling this stuff off. But I mean, as a local homegrown from your basement entrepreneur to others who have wanna make an impact, I mean, anything you would say to them about getting off the trading floor and doing it on your own? I think, I think one of the biggest things is people are trying to um, chase the wrong things. Uh, this has to do with more of advice that I would give myself starting the career. I think people are, um, 
they're trying to correlate money and happiness. So I, I've been at fault for this. When you're in, when I was in university, I thought, um, <clears throat> oh, I can't wait to be done school. I'll start making my own money. It'll be so much better. This will be really wonderful, right? And um, I was thinking money is correlated with happiness in some way. But what you end up finding out is that uh, money has a diminishing marginal utility. And so with each incremental dollar that you make in your bank account, it doesn't have the same impact on your life or lifestyle. And so I'll give you an example of that. Like say if you were making $50,000 a year and uh, the next year you make 100,000, that, that's a pretty significant difference on your life. I mean, you have a lot more disposable income. Uh, you can do what you want. Um, but let's say the year after you make 150, right? You can start to see that the impact of the of the same fifty thousand dollars additionally has on your life, and then one fifty, two hundred, two hundred, two fifty, like it starts to drop, right? Significantly. So, but what does increase in value, I think, especially after you have a family, is your time, the time that you have to do the things that you choose to do. So, if I when I look at projects or if I look at anything in my business, I'm looking at not only what my return on investment is, but what is my return on time? And that forces me to look at all the problems within my business, inefficiencies, what can I automate? How can I make this redundant task <laughs> you know, programmable so I don't really spend a lot of time doing it? And to allow myself more time. And I think that is a true measure of success is not just the size of your bank account, but how much control of your time you have. And I think that brings more happiness than a larger bank account to be, to be completely frank. And, you know, just on the topic of, of happiness, I mean, there was a study done. Uh, it's a Ted talk actually. And uh, there's a Harvard study done. They, they've watched 700 uh, people over the course of 40, 50 years to determine what makes people happy and you know what it was good relationships that was the key it had nothing to do with money it had absolutely nothing to do with money but it had everything to do with relationships and i think when you have the time if you find ways to increase the amount of time you have to choose what you want to do and harness those relationships you'll be much much happier so i think every young person out there wants to be a baller and they want to accumulate all this wealth, but they're actually chasing the wrong thing. Yeah, that return on time conversation is, is fantastic. And it's one I think we're hearing more and more. And if we filtered the decisions we make as business owners through that versus just top line revenue or, exactly. I mean, it changes the game. And of course, today we have the tools that will allow for us to put a lot of this into play, which was in the past focused on manpower. Now it's much, we have these tools to make, uh, make these things happen for us. And I love that you brought that up. I mean, I ask everybody two questions and I'm gonna ask you too, as we're getting close <laughs> to the end. Your superpower as an engineer, I mean, as, a, as an entrepreneur, that thing that just makes it you successful and all our success is of course uh, different for all of us and we peg it differently but what do you find something that you could leave us with as to something to consider 
in our own world, but like, what's the thing that drives your success, you think, uh, through all of this? I think execution, to be frank. I think uh, executing on opportunities and ideas, um, like I was mentioning earlier, ideas are completely worthless unless they're executed on. And when you find an opportunity and you don't execute it, and then down the road when you see someone else do it and you're like, oh, I had a similar idea like that. Why didn't I do anything about it? You hear that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think execution is key to success. Absolutely. Now, if you flip it, the kryptonite, what, what, what slows you down or is there anything? Like if you were to think about what is it that you know that you need to just work on as you're <laughs> taking this... I, I, yeah, yeah. I've said this to my wife many times. I get bored way too easily. So if, if I if I'm on a project and it becomes successful, I actually get bored with it. I, I don't care how successful it is. I get bored. And so but what it does is it forces me to find new opportunities and new projects to work on. So in a way, it's a negative, but it's actually end up being a positive because I'm, I get so distracted and I want to and I want to check out all these different projects and these different opportunities and and uh, yeah, I, I get excited about it. Um, and so that's what pushes me to find new things. It's that problem solver mentality. You solve the problem, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, you're one to get it on, not autopilot, but you get it solved and handled and you're, you're on to the next. I mean, we yeah. need more people like you, that's for sure. <laughs> um, any fun little like quick resources recently that you've kind of like leaned into, TED Talks, um, books? even people that you follow that are really thought leaders that you could pass along? Well, um, speaking of podcasts, other than your own, <laughs> I uh, one podcast that I really listen to is Tim Ferriss' podcast. Absolutely love it. He interviews some of the top athletes, leaders, and people in the world. It's a fantastic uh, listen. Highly recommend it. I listen to it in the car while I'm going places. I love it. Um, some of the books that I, uh, the book that I recommended people reading the most has been, um, oh shoot, what is the name of that book? Oh my goodness. I'm losing my train of thought. Oh, never split the difference by Chris Voss talks about, and I, I mentioned this one to you actually, Darren, I believe, uh, it talks about, uh, the power of negotiations and how to negotiate. Um, you can use this in any aspect of your life, whether you're buying a car or you're negotiating where to go to dinner. I mean, you can <laughs> you can use this in every aspect of your life. So I highly recommend that book. It's a fantastic read. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And the book that I've given out the most is actually uh, Unshakable by Tony Robbins. And I gave this to almost every family member, especially the young guys in my family. And the reason why I did that is because that book he basically uh, interviews the best financial minds in the world and they talk about what they would tell their kids or the strategies that made them successful. And the first 20 pages, I mean, it, it basically tells you some of the things that I was mentioning earlier about the snowball, you know, buy the index, buy quality assets, sit on your hands, ignore the media, what your neighbor's saying, <laughs> and just sit on your hands and own it for the long term and you'll do extremely well absolutely so and it's are, funny most people don't things. give not most people a lot of people don't give tony robbins the credit he deserves because they think mm -hmm. of him as a guru and as like a hype but there's mm -hmm. so much depth in there and again unshakable is a great one never split the difference us as realtors uh use a lot and there's a he's a part of masterclass too that that great new platform oh, yeah, that came up um, so I know that's available. And of course, yeah, 
many of us, it's funny with Tim Ferriss and where he came from with the whole four hour work week uh, book and then what life's like now from a virtual environment, which I mean, he kind of really championed in, the, in his releases. I love that you brought those up. Well, man, what's, I mean, so you've got a place in Vancouver. I know you guys have a heart. You got part of your hearts there. Um, of course, you're Calgary. Uh, and you've got a lot of businesses that are pushing the borders. I mean, what, what's next for you guys this year? What, I mean, what do you have in store? Uh, anything that, uh, that you'd love to share? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So um, right now I'm trying to master the skill of sleep deprivation <laughs> because twins. So that's, that's one thing I'm working on. Uh, other than that, I, I mean, we have a new business coming that should be launching around the summer this year. Uh, that deals with the seafood buying and selling. Super excited about that. Um, I think it's going to help a lot of people, uh, buyers and sellers from processing plants, the wholesalers. And uh, it's a great opportunity and it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's the, that's it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. And so I, I'm super excited about that. Awesome, man. I mean, I know, like we said, and we started the show with you'd love to be just considered anonymous and just a voice and, and uh, maybe not even ever interviewed, to be honest. But uh, um, I mean, for people to connect with you and follow, I mean, we didn't mention your company names. Did you want to, to mention those um, uh, about that if they just wanted to kind of follow your journey or just follow what you're up to? Yeah, so we, we don't publish anything really on uh, social media with my companies because first two companies that I'm a part of, Blackout and Arc, um, we don't have any clients, right? So it's a trading company. Um, for New Horizon staffing, if there are any RNs that want to get paid substantially more and do some travel nursing, definitely uh, give us a shout on New Horizon staffing. Um, and then, uh, then other than that, if people want to contact me personally, uh, I am on Instagram. Um, there's a story behind my name, so don't, don't laugh too much, but it's no hashtag, man. There is a funny story, <laughs> but if you need to send me a message or you want to ask me a question, uh, give me a shout there. Awesome. That's where you'll see his love of cars <laughs> and other stuff. So, but yes, uh, thank you, Chris, for being on and sharing this wealth of knowledge. And like, like I put in my notes, I could have taken this conversation a hundred different ways. And thank you for dealing with me spitballing a bunch of different industries and thoughts because i know not many could hold the floor like you do across multiple things so man it's a pleasure to know you as a friend uh and as a businessman and i look up to you so thank you for your time sir and uh well any 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 final thoughts uh no just thank you so much darren i i had a lot of fun i i i mean i i did want to be anonymous initially but i I can understand what you don't want me to. <laughs> awesome. So thanks for that. You got me out of my comfort zone. Wow. There you go. I mean, if my agents can say one thing, that's all I ever do is push. So uh, <laughs> um, for those listening again, thanks for tuning in for another about an hour long podcast with Pierre, spotlighting another local success story uh, on our Live Love Local podcast. I look forward to kind of taking your attention again next week, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you.